2: Before you mash that fast forward button to move to the beginning of today's episode, I'd like to quickly tell you about some ways you can support the show and everything that I'm doing right now. You can support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Writer. Again, just go on over to patreon.com slash Writer. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month, or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and a review. It's incredibly important with the way iTunes works, so if you have a second, please leave a rating and or review and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, you can listen to the show on Spotify, tune in radio, Stitcher, Google play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. You can check out chase Thomas That is all my previous episode, a link to my newsletter and all my articles that I've written. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase, double underscore thomas you can like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer or you can just tell a friend you found this independent sports podcast that they should check out too thank you for listening you're all the best and i think we've reached the point in this intro where my uncle darren can play me in all right let's go chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast Um, my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it All right, welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. We're recording this on a Thursday evening, and Rivers McCown is here, the best McCown, better than Luke, better than Josh, better than all of them. He is the the best McCown, in my opinion. And Rivers, do you remember where you were when DeMarco Murray announced his retirement from the NFL?
1: I was shopping, yeah, and I was shopping and I was thinking about how maybe Josh McCown is a little bit better than me. And I was trying to reconcile this with the fact that Demarco Murray retired. It was it was a rough day. It was a sad day.
2: The combination is very difficult. Um, and who had Demarco Murray not uh, having a longer NFL career than Josh McCown? Josh McCown is sneakily going to have like a twenty-year NFL career. So shout out to him. Hey, he's getting paid, right? That's all that matters. <laughs> Oh my god, that guy. I I honestly hope he just keeps getting signed. Like, I hope the Jaguars replace Blake Bortles with him in 2019. That's what I'm hoping. He is 39 years old. He was drafted in the third round of the 2002 draft. So we're at 17. Is this year 18 for him? I think this is 18.
1: I think I thought that his career would peter out after he did the, uh, what was it like the Hail Mary that ended the Viking season in 2002 or three, they they knocked him out of the playoffs. I was like, oh, man, that's Josh McCown's moment. That's all he needs. But no, he just keeps going.
2: He will never stop. Um, Jeremy Bates and everybody else is going to keep him alive in New York for as long as possible. But then Sam Darnold might be the one to finally put him out of his misery. But you know what? We'll always have that weird, good Josh McCown season in uh, Chicago a couple of years ago that uh, got him paid in Tampa Bay. And that did not go well for a season and everything else. But what a career arc. I'm ready for the oral history of Josh McCown. Um, I think my, one of the most interesting things right now with this offseason, we're still several weeks out. Um, there's like 40 something days before college football kicks off, but the NFL has got a couple more weeks after that. Um, training camp still isn't here yet, but we're closing in on that. So that's, that's always fun. But I think the biggest thing that I'm monitoring, I don't know how invested you are in this, but Le'Veon Bell is playing out the last year of his contract this year now. And we know that he passed up a long term deal with the Steelers and, it, it certainly seems like we're heading towards the last year of Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh, and that's just kind of crazy that we're here. And I, I wonder, from your perspective, did you think this was coming? Did you think eventually he would settle on a long-term deal? Or is this uh, just how this was always going to go with Le'Veon Bell but eventually just having to go elsewhere to finally get that big last payday before um, he starts to hit the The father time and just what happens to so many running backs in this NFL when they have this much tread on the tires and everything else but um, where are you at with Le'Veon Bell
1: so the sense that I get from talking to people around the situation is just that the Steelers see Le'Veon Bell as a running back and he kind of sees himself as something entirely different like an entirely different unicorn of the running back genre and wants to be paid as such And so I'm not surprised at all that they couldn't come to, you know, a deal that would work long term. I'm not really surprised that the Steelers are approaching it this way because they tend to have, let's say, very rigid uh, contract standards. Like they're willing to sign people long term, but you've got to have a certain amount of guaranteed money just the way they want it to go. So I get that. And, you know... Running back – start running back talent in the NFL doesn't really last as long as you really think it does. Uh, I mean, outside of Frank Gore, it's hard to really come up with a long list of players recently that uh, have hit even the late 20s and been the same player that they were. So not surprised at all that the Steelers are taking it slow. And honestly, given how well Le'Veon Bell has played, not surprised at all, but he's taking that tact either. It's just something where – he's going to have to shop that on the real marketplace and learn for a fact that nobody's going to pay him like that.
2: Do you think anybody is though? Like, do you think that's coming? Is there anyone in the NFL that like is jumping at the opportunity to pay Le'Veon Bell a bunch of money? Like there, it just seems like everybody has a stable of running backs now and no team is, um, I don't want to say there's no bad front offices, but it doesn't seem like there are a lot of teams just jumping at the bit to sign an older Le'Veon Bell to a massive, like five year, crazy contract with a lot of guaranteed money. It doesn't seem like there are that many options for him.
1: Well, ironically, it's the bad front offices that are more willing to do that. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, I know what you're saying and it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh Adrian Peterson back when yep. we all thought that he was, you know, still really talented before all this all the off-field stuff happened to him. Uh it was one of those situations where, you know, you sign that guy hoping that you have like a little bridge between getting your quarterback ready, getting your passing game ready, when you know you need somebody to rely on just a little bit, and I could see that happening. I could see him, you know, winding up in a place like say the Jets. I could see him winding up huh. in uh, maybe in Miami if they had to. If they have to uh, uh, start the pl- the plug over on Tannehill. So I mean, it's, it's yeah. something where there are going to be suitors and they're going to have money, but if they're going to give him the contract he wants, I I don't think
2: so. <laughs> So the first two teams that come to mind for me is Washington, because I just always assume Washington's going to do something crazy like that and just, um, I don't know, it just seems very Washingtony. y um, And then, I just don't know, and I want you to clarify this, uh, would he be old enough for John Gruden and the Raiders? Because I just feel like he's still three or four years away from becoming a John Gruden Raider.
1: Look, John Gruden had watched enough tape on Martavis Bryant to know that this is a guy who you could see some flashes in and then also... Uh, washed, get suspended for six games every season. So, I mean, John Gruden does his homework. I don't want. Oh, I, for sure. I don't want you to say, but John Gruden has been slacking here. He's he, he'll find yeah. Le'Veon Bell if he wants to.
2: <laughs> the pettiness in me really wants him to go to the Patriots. Can you imagine if he ended up in New England after this year? Like that's the guy they ended up paying because you know he would just be like. I mean, he's already a freak of nature in Pittsburgh, but if New England. Just because they've let everybody go. I mean, obviously, they lost their whole running back rotation basically this offseason, Deion Lewis leaving and everybody else. And Deion Lewis was really good for them this past year. And uh, I don't know. That's what I'm secretly hoping for is that Le'Veon Bell uh, ends up in New England next year. You know, they did just draft a
1: running back in the first round.
2: So, did, oh, that's right. Who did that? Oh, Sonny Michelle. But yeah. uh, he's got bad knees. I don't think he's going to be around for. Uh, three to four years. I, I, I have my doubts about Sonny Michelle.
1: Yeah let's, let's go with that yeah, <laughs> yeah so, so I think I think they really see a lot in Sony Michelle so I would be surprised if they picked up Le'Veon Bell but not In the way that New England always seems to be the place where you know if you're going to take a pay cut, if you're going to reestablish your value, it makes sense to do so with the best coaching you can get the best organization in the NFL right now. Uh, I, I can totally see it happening. I would, be, I would be a little bit surprised if it happened just because I think that Le'Veon Bell is ultimately wanting to get paid more than anything.
2: But do you, it could happen. Do you think ultimately he is gone from Pittsburgh and it is done, or do you think there's still a chance he does return?
1: Oh, I think he's done in Pittsburgh after this year.
2: Okay. Wow. That's crazy. It's going to be really weird seeing him in a different uniform. Um, speaking of guys who may be, superstar guys who may be in the final couple years of... Um, playing for their team that they've just become superstars with. Uh, how much are you buying Julio Jones with the Falcons not um, going down the long-term contract route? I mean, he's out of guaranteed money, and it doesn't look like they're going to restructure with him this summer now. And it does seem like, and then there's the rumblings of whether or not he's going to go the Calvin Johnson route, where he's just going to be out in a couple years anyway. Um, do do you think that we really are inching towards like the last season or two of Julio Jones in Atlanta? Because that seems more... Um, I don't want to say complicated, but more just it's hard to ra- wrap my head around Julio Jones not being a Falcon for like five more years. I just always assumed that he would just be there for a, a ridiculous amount of time. And he's just always been this worker who's just, I, I don't know. I just thought they were going to figure something out and they were going to restructure. And I mean, he had a good case that um, even though he did kind of have a down year in terms of drops and the red zone stuff, but I don't know how much you put on, put that on Julio, but um, it does seem like we're nearing the end. With like, if they're not going to restructure and not add on more years and more guaranteed money, then like this might be it for him, right?
1: I feel like, uh, you know, just like what was it, twenty fifteen, I believe, the year before the Falcons with the Super Bowl, they they had they brought Kyle Shanahan and it was a new offense. They all kind of struggled, so I think this is kind of them saying, "Well, are we going to get a bounce here?" Because Steve Sarkisian, second season now, it's vitally important for them to see. Progress. See what they want to see from that offense. I don't necessarily buy that Julio Jones is is a goner. I think that's more a him question than a question about the league itself. Because at the end of the day, he he gets banged up every season. Yeah. He you know complains about the red zone looks, and he has a point. They don't really target him that much in the red zone. So it's one of those things where. As much as I think Julio Jones could play till he's 35, 36, whatever, it's ultimately a question of what he wants to do and what his body's going to allow him to take.
2: Yeah. um, It does seem like, though, if he does leave, I don't think he's going to another team. I think it might be the Calvin Johnson thing where I think he just walks away altogether. I I could see it. Um, But that's kind of crazy to think about that we're that close. But he's been on this team a lot longer than it feels like, I guess, in some instances. Um, a guy who hasn't worn, who actually has worn out his way, his welcome, um, on his team, Jameis Winston, who Jameis first, Jameis or Jameis first, the world, or however you want to spin it. Um, so the bucks have a big decision after this year, like they can let him go after this year and they picked up his option for this year, but it's a big year for them. I mean, they almost fired Dirk Cutter and they did not get John Gruden. So they ended up just keeping Dirk Cutter and Mike Smith and this group together, but, it does seem like it's a big year for Jason Light's team. And I do wonder, like, is this already a train wreck kind of year we're heading towards? Because they had such a great draft and they've uh, they added a bunch in the defensive line. Like, there's a lot to be excited about with what they've put together. Mike Evans is still awesome. They have maybe the best or best young t- tight end duo with O.J. Howard and Cameron Breit. Um, I just There's a lot to like with this team, except for the Jameis stuff. And I just... It's so weird thinking about the Bucks this year because they're always the team that people talk themselves into because it seems like they always have the talent to break through and they just never do. They're kind of like the Chargers East in a way, but um, the Chargers have Phillip Rivers and not James Winston, so that's a positive. But um, where are you at with that? Like, is that something? Are you pretty down in the Bucks this year? I mean, the NFC South was very stacked last year and it looks like those three teams at the top from last year are going to be good again um even though the saints got off to a bad offseason start with mark ingram being uh, absent for the first four games of the year um due to suspension but um cam newton's jacked i don't know if you saw that picture of him this week but um he's in insane shape and uh, the falcons i don't think you're going to fall off just yet so uh, where are you at with the bucks and Jameis going forward
1: i'm cautiously optimistic about the bucks as a whole I think that Jameis showed a lot of promise last season. That wasn't necessarily on our radar, because it came with you know they, them already falling out of contention. It came because you know uh, Deshaun Jackson wasn't uh, what they wanted him to be. They didn't have this aerial show that they thought they would. But efficiency wise, he took a step forward. And uh, like I know, we're going to sit here and, and you know what Jameis once did is horrible. But the way the NFL organizations run. This is, you know, a slap on the wrist to them. They, they don't really care that deeply about what he does off the field if he's going to be as good as he was last season. And I think going forward, they can project Jameis Winston to continue to be anywhere from a good to great quarterback, and I think they're comfortable with that. So, like, I understand, you know, them distancing, you know, backpedaling PR-wise, but in, in, real, in reality, they're going to stick with him. And I think for... I mean, for on-field, for the best, I think he took a clear step forward last season.
2: So you think he's going to be good this year, potentially? Like, you think he's building towards something? Are you, because there is a big conversation to be had right now this summer with, like, the Mariota versus Jameis stuff, because um, obviously they went 1-2 a couple years ago, and Mariota had more picks than touchdowns this past year, and he did not play particularly well after um, kind of exploding in the malarkey offense early on. Um, in Tennessee, and now he has this whole new system, and he has Matt Lafleur, so he seems poised for a bounce back year. But um, who are you betting on uh, having a better chance of really surprising people and breaking through and finally becoming the quarterback that um, both teams expected when they drafted them a couple years ago?
1: Ooh, that's interesting. Okay, so I think I think Winston has a chance to play better this year, but. I don't really believe in Dirk Cutter's system. I don't really think that he's doing what he can to optimize that offense. Mm-hmm. Whereas sure. I look at Mariota and I see you know, what they're doing under Mike Rabel. I see you know, an offense more geared toward Mariota's strengths. And I'm a little bit more bullish on him achieving success right away this year.
2: Okay. What do you see with Dirk Cutter's offense and Jameis in particular that kind of... Uh, gives you pause.
1: I think they're a little too married to the run. I think I think uh, Dirk Cutter wants to you know play at a little bit more eighties than a lot of head coaches are. You know, pushing pushing the uh, tempo a little bit nowadays. Like I, I, you would not see Dirk Cutter as the offensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. You know, <laughs> that's not yeah. how this works. So I, I think I think Dirk Cutter would rather play defense and run the ball a little bit more. And I think. Jameis Winston's, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, crazy ass passes sometimes <laughs> uh, kind of play yeah. into that because he wants to limit that. Uh, okay. Whereas I feel like if Jameis was on, w- w- if Jameis had replaced Jared Goff last year, you would have seen, you know, uh, you would have seen that arm show off in ways that are incomprehensible to what Dirk Hunter is doing right now.
2: Are people hyping up the Packers too much? Because they are my Super Bowl pick, and I'm definitely guilty of this, but I think it's more of like the last time we saw Aaron Rodgers miss significant time the season prior. He had an MVP season, and they went 12-4, and four. and Aaron looks healthy. He's golfing with Steph Curry and everybody. Like He's dating Danica Patrick. It's good good times for Aaron Rodgers, but um, it's a new front office. They they spent this offseason. They added Mike Pettin. They brought back Joe Philbin. They brought in Jimmy Graham. They cut Jordy Nelson. Devontae Adams is finally the number one that they hoped he would be when they drafted him a couple years ago. They actually kind of have a sneaky deep uh, running back uh, rotation now. Um, Muhammad Wilkerson is reunited with Pettine, and that's where he had early season success. I like J. Alexander and Josh Jackson a lot. Um, is it too much too soon where it's like we're kind of discounting the Vikings too much just because Aaron Rodgers is back and the Packers finally spent money, or... Are you buying in on the Packers being a – like they, they should be the favorite over the Vikings, uh, even with everything that happened with Minnesota last year?
1: I would go as far as to call them co-favorites. I don't think that one of them has an edge over the other uh, at this point. But uh, mostly what this comes down to for me is Green Bay's defense. I feel like Green Bay's defense is – you know, improved. I feel like they've put a lot of good draft stock into that. I think they've got some long-term planning going on. But until I see, like you know, better edge rushers, uh, you know, more 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 elite talent in that front seven, I'm having a hard time buying them taking a gigantic leap yet. I think Pettin installs the system, and I think we come to 2019, and that's the year that we would really see Green Bay's last push for a title with Rodgers.
2: Okay. Um, which AFC South team are you the biggest believer in right now? Because it feels like everything's muddled together. We talked about the Titans a little bit, but a healthy Deshaun Watson, a healthy Andrew Luck, the Jaguars' defense being what it is, like it does seem like it, all four teams in the AFC South could, um, for the first time in basically forever, all be really good, and one of them still just like finished 6-10, and 10, and it's it just not matching what uh, they actually played like all season.
1: Yeah, this is wild to me. I mean, I even I actually for Bleacher Report covered the FC South for an entire season, <laughs> and, I'm so sorry. And, and it was just like you know drudgery after drudgery. Bringing up to my editor, well, uh, I guess we could talk about uh, Luke McCowan this week.
2: <laughs> oh God.
1: <laughs> so yeah, like like it, it was, what year was this? I, I, it was either twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen.
2: Okay, so it was an Andrew Luck year when he actually was throwing football
1: right right right. we had andrew luck
2: okay so it wasn't that dark
1: we had had andrew luck and we had to forecast him against oh the rest of this team is still really bad and hey Mm, guess what happened three years later the rest of the team it's still
2: really bad yeah um hey but you know what ryan grigson back in the nfl As always, nepotism feed He can go away forever. Uh, and he's in Seattle, right? Didn't he get brought in? I think he's there in Seattle. And Brian Schottenheimer, offensive coordinator in Seattle. Um, dark times there. But that's for another podcast. But anyway, back to the AFC South. Yeah, so I'm
1: having a hard time landing on who I think is going to win that division. I feel like the Jaguars are the surest thing. Only in the sense that I think their defense is like a knockout elite unit again this year.
2: Yeah, I mean, A.J. Bouye, so one of the things, there's a lot of revisionist history with the Jaguars, I feel like, but one of the things that, obviously hit really hard was Clayus Campbell getting brought in the Cardinals letting him walk and banking on Kim DiGi stepping up and that obviously did not go well and Clayus Campbell moved to the outside and he was just a monster and uh, like they just they invested really well in free agency and now we've seen the shift where uh, dipping into the free agent pool is not necessarily a bad thing and it's actually a positive for a lot of teams especially the Jaguars even though they've drafted really well they've also spent their money wisely since Tom Coughlin's come in and they've that defense is incredible but A.J. Bouye like there was a lot of doubters like whether or not he was actually going to be as good as advertised when he moved over to Jacksonville and whether or not the year in Houston was legit. Like there was a lot of staying power there. And obviously he had the lowest passer rating when targeted this past year in Jacksonville and Jalen Ramsey is obviously a beast and Telvin Smith's awesome. And the defense is great. That said, it was still a really good year for Blake and uh, Blake, when he has a good offensive line, um, I think has like a 93 passer rating when he's not being pressured. So um, that's always helpful, but he's like 60 something when he is under pressure, which is obviously terrible. And I just kind of wonder, like, we haven't really talked about the fact that Alan Robinson and Alan Hearns are just gone and they're banking a lot on Marquise Lee, um, DJ chalk. Is that his name? The guy they just drafted, DJ Chark. um, Chalk, Yeah. And they're just banking on a lot of uncertainty at the wide receiver position. And if Leonard Fournette's not healthy, like I could see this offense nosediving very quickly. And I mean, I like Doug Marone as a coach a lot, but there is something about this offense where it's like, it, I feel like when you have quarterbacks like Blake Bortles, and it goes back to like the Andy Dalton thing for me, where can you imagine the Bengals if they didn't have AJ Green and, and Tyler Eifert and just uh the hodgepodge of running backs that they have to surround Andy Dalton to elevate him? Because they understand that like he's not a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers type where he can just win with anybody out wide and make everybody better. Like Blake Bortles is not going to elevate Marquise Lee. He's not going to elevate these guys on the outside. And having somebody like Alan Robinson and uh, Alan Hearns is helpful because those guys can help hide some of those blemishes uh, that he provides. And I just – I'm kind of nervous that they're ready for an offensive implosion and just banking on one more year of um, Blake Bortles because I just – I feel like they got lucky with him last year and the defense will be awesome. But I just, I'm not a believer in Blake Bortles and you know what? I'm still kind of annoyed that Nick Foles is not a Jaguar. That's what I wanted. I wanted Nick Foles to get traded to Jacksonville. I wanted to see that, but, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not in on the Jags, the AFC South champ. I think it's either going to be the Texans or a healthy Andrew Luck because we just know how good he is when he's healthy. Um, the Colts are right there. So I think the Texans are my pick just because of how freaking amazing Deshaun Watson to DeAndre Hopkins is, but uh, I don't feel great about it, but I do feel pretty sure that we're in for like a very painful offensive regression for the Jaguars this year.
1: Yeah. uh, I'm really a big fan of D.D. Westbrook. I think that this is kind of his year to step up and, you know, provide some lateral threats because what Nathaniel Hackett and them did last year was uh, kind of spread the field horizontally. And if you look at these numbers, you know, that Blake Bortles deep ball, even just watching it, you could tell his deep ball was shot all season. So I think their line of thinking was, well, you know, it's, it's, if Alan Robinson goes, that's fine. We weren't going to be able to throw it to him anyway. We were going to (laughs) throw it in his like 10 yard vicinity maybe, but it wasn't ever going to be like a downfield jump ball sort of offense under Blake Bortles, circa this version. So, speaking of disappointment, uh, my biggest disappointment this year was that Lamar Jackson wasn't a Jaguar. I thought that was the Ooh, perfect okay. fit.
2: I don't see Tom Coughlin going the Lamar Jackson route. I thought I, I thought
1: bad. that was the the way they ran that they ran that offense last year though, and, and given okay. given the extra quarterback run game stuff, I thought that would have been a perfect
2: fit. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad. I like him in Baltimore, though. I think he's he has a chance to be really awesome there. So, I mean, he ended up in a good spot regardless. I mean, New England would have been insane and really cool, too. But, uh, yeah, just the Jaguars, they're just a quarterback away. And it's going to be frustrating, I think, for the next couple of years um, just with how talented they are everywhere else. And they've just made so many great moves except a quarterback, and it's just um, not great. Um, which rookie quarterback has the best shot of early like, su- su- eh, success for you right now because I uh, I'm leaning Josh Rosen but um I'd be interested to know who you're really interested in and like what you're projecting their first year under center is going to be like
1: we're we're saying just as a rookie right
2: just as a rookie and I mean just we can, purely as a rookie can we pure rookie unless we want to throw Pat Mahomes in here as a wild card.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I I I think really highly of Mahomes as well. I think he would be number one on that list for me. But uh looking at just the rookies, I I think I'm with you as far as Rosen. I think should he get into the lineup and given Sam Bradford's help, it's likely that he will because Sam Bradford's literally always hurt. Uh I I'm really seeing good things in that offense. I think that his stats will be buoyed a lot by David Johnson, and kind of the touch pass, dump off pass, easy game that, they, that he can play with uh, Johnson and Larry Fitzgerald. I know that uh, the offense might change a little bit now that we're free of Bruce Arians' um, you know, deep ball game. So I'm interested to see how that kind of plays out, even though I think the Cardinals kind of overachieved given what they had in the passing game the last couple of years. But I, I really think Rosen, out of those guys, is
2: in the uh, has the best chance to succeed, and I think that Jackson is second. I'm right there with you. I think the Cardinals have a lot of opportunity to surprise a lot of people this year. Like they were not a bad team the last couple of years; they just got destroyed by the injury bug. And I still think there's a lot of talent on the defensive side of the ball. And Steve Wilkes, I think, is going to be a sleepy, good coach. Where like he was an under the radar guy, but he did really great work with Carolina. And I just, I don't know. I feel like Arizona is just a a sleeping giant in the AFC West, but we'll see. Um, where are you at with Oakland? We talked about John Gruden a little bit, but um, are you as down on their offseason as everybody else is?
1: Ooh, man, this is, this is, I feel bad for Raiders fans because I feel like they had like a little taste of a light right there. And now we're just purely back into the dark ages.
2: Well, they only have, let me check my notes. Yes. 10 years of John Gruden in Oakland. <laughs> well, They have have 10 years contractually obligated to pay John Gruden. There's no way they're getting out on. Can you imagine this already being a disaster in year two? Yes, I can. I can can totally see it. That's insane. (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, I mean, it's not our money, so I don't really care. But it's it's good that coaches' uh, salaries do not uh, count against the cap.
1: It's really amazing to me how... I think the 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 what's called the layman NFL fan is so willing to go in on oh these players make too much money blah 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 but John Gruden gets ten years all of a sudden it's oh this John Gruden guy this could be interesting ten years huh they must have a lot of faith in him.
2: <laughs> Shout out to Jason Light in the Bucks for not doing this because I they I think they dropped the bullet obviously we're not big dirt cutter guys but you know what they don't have uh ten years of John Gruden if that's what it was gonna take yeah I'm out.
1: This, this this offense, the the way that he plans to run things, it's...
2: It, <laughs> Not a Doug Martin believer in 2018. It's it's
1: scientifically interesting, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's uh, going to be empirically interesting.
2: <laughs> Can we get Tyrone Wheatley back in the fold?
1: <laughs> get Napoleon Kaufman back,
2: man. Oh, my God. Now you're speaking my language. There's, I'm ready for this. There's the beast yeah. right there. T.O. wants back. Let's bring him in.
1: <laughs> oh...
2: T.O. James Jets. Jordy Nelson. James Jets. <laughs> I'm here for all of this. Um, last question and then we'll go. Uh, so my team of the West, the team that I will never give up on, the team that I always – I just, I love and I want them to break through. And they make a lot of great decisions, and it just never feels like they can put it together. They're uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. Is this the year they break through? The AFC feels wide open right now, more wide open than it's ever felt. Is this the year the Los Angeles Chargers go to the Super Bowl?
1: No. God. Is this the year the Los Why? Angeles Chargers make the playoffs?
2: I mean, Probably. That's a start. Probably. Okay. I, I can feel yeah, that I one. Mean- What do you make of them? I mean, were you surprised they ended up like, well, they did this themselves because they got up to such a horrible start that they backed themselves into a hole, but it did seem just wrong for uh, Goodell not to step in because I advocated for this of like, I mean, I love Bill's fans, but uh, we knew how that game was going to go in Jacksonville (laughs) and we knew that game was going to be absolute dog shit. So my whole thing was like, from a viewer's perspective... Let's go ahead and say they did qualify, but they don't have to play the game. So we'll say the Bills ended their playoff streak, but they don't get to play in the game. Like, it's just a nice thing that they can raise the banner in Buffalo. But like we, this is still an entertainment product, and uh, we don't want this uh, in the NFL. So hold on. So hold on. on.
1: Here's what I say. Okay. We have a playoff system, right? If you can't get to 10 wins, you don't make the playoffs. That's what it is. Ooh. Okay. If you can't make 10 wins, you don't get the playoffs. Mm. Cutting it off right there.
2: There you go. I like it. I just, I mean, the Chargers. I think what was they were going to be like nine and seven. Did they finish nine and seven or eight and eight? One of the two. But um, yeah. I just they did it to themselves. But I wanted the Chargers because I think here's the take for you, Rivers. I think the Chargers would have beaten the Jaguars. Okay.
1: I, I don't necessarily agree with you, but I can see where you're coming from because I actually wrote a big piece for ESPN, you know, like coming up in December. Like, oh man, those sneaky Chargers. You know, they've been they've lost a lot of their values tied up in all of these bad special teams losses. And, you know, if they happen to just make the playoffs, oh, they can contend. And
2: nobody's really good except for New England. And yeah, I know. I know. I know. I was he there. Was just there. Philip Rivers is a veteran. He's still fine. Like, I mean, they lost Hunter Henry in the offseason already, which sucks. But Antonio Gates, I guess, is coming into the fold. So whatever. But they still have Keenan Allen, who played a healthy season last year, which is awesome because Keenan Allen's really good at football. They didn't get Mike Williams because he was hurt. Melvin Gordon's still awesome like um, their offensive line I think will be a little bit better and guess what they drafted Derwin James who's just going to be a monster for them in the secondary and they already were stacked in the secondary with Casey Hayward and everybody else like that is a team that is just built to just be a Behemoth. They're like the Jaguars in terms of just like you look up and down their depth chart and you're like, oh my God, they just have talent everywhere. How is this team not winning 11 games at minimum every year? And you're like, okay, what can it possibly be? And I just, I don't have an answer, but I just know last year sucked because they got up to such a bad start and they did it to themselves. And I knew once they went on that run, I was like, it's too late. You did this to yourself. Why couldn't you have done this all year? This is as good as you should have been. And uh, you should not be losing to Trevor Simeon on Monday Night Football with Rex Ryan calling the game. That's not what should be happening. You know,
1: I, I, and I think Warren Sharp, uh sharpfootball.com wrote kind of the the main treatise on this one, which is just about how poorly managed the Chargers were last year from a coaching standpoint. And, and that's one thing that we know won't change yet because there was practically no turnover there. They got the same yeah, guys I, in I, place. I, I want
2: to believe in Anthony Lynn. I want to believe.
1: I feel like the Chargers, uh, and, and to some to some extent, I get it because they're moving. You know, they didn't want to put a lot of effort in their search. But it's like, find me some football guys. Are these guys went football it's more of
2: like a CEO, right? All like, right, where they some... kept Ken Wisenhunt because uh, he didn't move over from OC, and then uh, did they bring in a new DC? I feel like they kept the DC as well. That was Gus Bradley. Yeah, I mean, he was already there, as, or did he come in after? I thought they were both still locked in prior to Anthony Lynn coming in, but maybe it was just uh, Hunt. I could be wrong. But, um, yeah, I mean, Gus Bradley's been great for them, and we know he's not a head coach, but he's a very good defensive coordinator, and uh, it's going to work. So I hope the Chargers break through. Um, having, last thing having, having, guy, having covered Hunt's tenure in Tennessee, let me tell you,
1: that man, from a strategic <laughs> standpoint, cannot coach his way out of the offensive paper bag.
2: <laughs> oh man. Fire takes. I like it. Um, last thing and then we'll go. Give me your like we're we're recording this. It is July nineteenth. Give me your like hottest NFL take that you've been stewing over. You're like, I start I really believe this, but I don't think people are ready for it.
1: Okay. My hottest take is that for the first time in the history of of my life, basically, like nineteen eighty-five on. I think the Chicago Bears are going to have a great offense.
2: Oh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I could see it. I mean, we've already gotten the reports of like the training wheels are off. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, which I, I feel like is like a some subtle shade thrown at the previous coaching staff of just like how much they inhibited what he could do. But those games were atrocious last year. It was watching Trubisky throw like nine times. And didn't they win a game where he didn't even complete a pass to a receiver? I think that happened. The seminal John Fox moment was when they played in Seattle
1: and just the drive chart was just punt, 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 punt. Loss of downs, punt. Oh, my
2: God. But he's gone. Jeff Fisher's gone. And they're both going to be talking about football on TV now, I think.
1: Well, I mean, some people have to watch that. Not me, though. Some people.
2: <laughs> Not you. But what we should do is read you at uh, ESPN Insider, Football Outsiders. Is there anything we're recording this on a Thursday that people should check out this week? No, we're, put, we're
1: putting the finishing touches on our book, uh, Football Outsiders Almanac 2018. We'll hit stores, I believe, uh, in the next five or six days. So uh, that's uh, where we're doing all the last minute
2: editing and rushing it out right now. I'm excited. Uh, Football Outsider is one of the best football sites that I check every day. So I'm excited. Uh, Football's almost back, Rivers. Almost. We've made it. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Ben Raven of MLive.com is here. And Ben what did you make of Kenny Omega versus Naito at NJPW G1 Climax Day 2? I know that's what you wanted to jump on and get started with uh, from the get-go here.
0: Yeah, that that match was fantastic. That was my favorite match so far from the G1 Climax. Night 2, Naito and Kenny Omega. That's absolutely a must-watch match. Uh, I mean, I've got zero complaints about G1 so far. I've been blown away.
2: It's fun, and these are just fun matches, and I like... I like the rivalry between the two and like the two of them Nido and Omega just going at one another and you can I, I like the just the the aesthetic of Kenny Omega as champion where he's definitely cockier now and just his mannerisms are still on point and Nido just not being phased and like Nido I think spit at Kenny at one point in this match but um, yeah it's been fun and I think uh, Kenny as champion actually really works and as a tweener because I don't really know what he is at this point, but I, I guess he's a tweener right now. And, uh, him and Naito, it turns out they can have good 20 plus minute wrestling matches.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you're right on the money with that. Kenny's definitely just a super over tweener, you know, and it's just working because he's like, you said, he's got more confidence than ever. He's got a little more swagger and just, uh, it's been kind of cool to watch that transformation take place.
2: I'm a fan. So we'll see how long that goes, but, um, back in the WWE, we have um, some... It wasn't the best week for them. I mean, ratings were up, so that was good. But uh, the company decided to reinstate uh, Hulk Hogan this week. And we all learned, because nobody I don't think was aware of this, was that he was suspended from the Hall of Fame. Um, no one, I think, uh, had that on the radar and had that uh, locked away. Um, it was odd. I would say, to when I first saw that, I mean, it was expected, Now I was going back through old articles of like, I feel like there's been 19 K Side Seats news and rumors reports about WWE testing the waters to see when Hulk Hogan will come back and all this kind of stuff, and I just feel like it was one of those things that was inevitable because nobody's ever gone forever, but at the same time, yeah. it's just, it felt weird and wrong, and also, I don't understand the value like what does Hulk Hogan at 64 really present to this company right now outside of selling merch and that's still and if this is a total just merch play then even more disgusting but like I just I don't I don't really understand why they just added this into the fold because like there was just no reason for it even like just I just I don't get it like it was just odd to me because if there's no plans to really use him as like an on-screen character like what is the rationale for any of this? I I just feel like they brought it all on themselves. And I, I mean, this is a very tone deaf company in a lot of ways, but like, this is just like, I just, I don't get it. it. It was just dumb, but also like you, it's not surprising if you know anything about the history of this company and Vince McMahon and everything else where it was like, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. And I have a lot of thoughts and I'm still kind of processing and we still have to see how this all unfolds. But, uh, Early returns, not great. Especially uh, Hulk Hogan's uh, lesson uh, from all of this is that make sure you uh, know when you're being recorded, not um, don't say derogatory and racist things in general. Just don't get caught. That, I believe, was his message, which um, not great.
0: Yeah, not great at all. And uh, I just don't get it. You know, I, I because at the time, three years ago, when all this happened, WWE declined that they removed them, that he, that they removed Hulk Hogan from the hall of fame. And now three years later, they're reinstating him. And I just don't get the point to publicly announce it because he's never apologized. Like you said, he's just said, be wary of everyone on social media and everyone with a cell phone. And I was reading reports, uh, on the dirt sheets today that triple H opened the speech by saying that himself too. Like, you have to be wary as wrestlers and celebrities of that everyone has a phone. Everyone has a video camera. It's just like, you guys are not apologizing for the right thing here. And it's it yeah, uh, not the point. It's <laughs> yeah, not the point. That's not the issue at hand. And I think it's just a slap in the face that they didn't take this more serious. Not with just their, um, POC athletes but just like their fan base too like you just dropped this out of nowhere wild wild terrible PR handling you know I'm a journalist in my real life job and stuff and it's just wow way to drop that one PR That's, that's bad
2: and they're a company that's so obsessed with their image and everything else and trying to get into Emmys and all of this stuff and I feel like this is so counterintuitive to the product that they're trying to build and uh, push towards people of like oh we uh were this this and this but we also just brought back Hulk Hogan so it's it I, I don't I just don't understand it I really don't and I don't see how he fits back into the fold anyway and it's just going to be awkward altogether and Jerry Lawler's comments though they might have been the worst and I didn't even oh. I just, uh, like what uh, I mean it's Jerry Lawler so I'm not surprised but like Just I'm not going to repeat them, but I just encourage everybody to go read Jerry Lawler's comments on this because it's just one of those things where you can't disregard. I understand that it's complicated when it's your friends and you don't want to believe something about them. But the fact is, like he was downplaying what was actually said. And I just think that if you actually read the quotes and uh, it's it's worse, it's bad. There's no way of sugarcoating that. And I don't like the revisionist history of like, it wasn't that bad. It was a moment of blah blah blah. And it's like, well, no, not really. And if you listen to the whole thing, like it's uh it's not great. It's it's pretty reprehensible. And the fact that he still hasn't apologized in a um just in some sort of way that resonates with the entire locker room that feels genuine and the fact that he still can't give a genuine apology years later shows not only has he not really changed, but I don't think he really I, to pass this off of, like, a moment of anger, it was just a mistake. Like, I just... People don't generally make those kind of mistakes unless those are just natural feelings they have. And uh, he just got... I think he was more upset that he got caught uh, on video and not so much about the content of his uh, his uh, statement. So, I, I just... I don't... I don't like any of it. And it sucks because Hogan was someone... I mean, we all grew up watching and liking and everything else... And, uh, I mean, I loved Hollywood Hogan and this, it makes it all more complicated and everything else, but I just, at 64, after everything that he's done and just where they are as a company, there's just... I don't understand it. Like, why add this? Like, he could just be gone forever, and you could still just mention him whenever, like, something comes up. But that kind of stuff, like, when Roman Reigns breaks Hulk Hogan's WrestleMania streak record, like, that's when you bring his name back up or something like that. But the idea of just bringing him personally back into the fold rather than just mentioning him is uh, just really, really bizarre and uh, stupid. So I hope uh, this continues to implode because... They did this to themselves and uh, they did not have to do it.
0: Yeah, I agree. It was a completely avoidable thing and I think even Titus O'Neill, yeah, Titus O'Neal said that in a statement today was just that he didn't his apology focused on that he didn't know he was being reported recorded. And that's not remorse for the hateful and violent utterances he made. Yeah, that's just rough. It's just that's just rough because like he said, you don't have to publicly reinstate Hulk Hogan and talk about Hulk Hogan. Yeah, he shaped the industry. He's a a large, large, large major reason why they are what they are today. But so what? That doesn't have anything to do with what he said, you know? And I just, I think people are just too quick to forgive just because it's Hulk Hogan. And yeah, I don't even want to, Jerry Lawler's comments are just absolutely ridiculous. And he basically said, what was the problem to begin with? So go read those if you're interested in those, because that was nasty.
2: I think the New Day had the best response of just like, uh, you could tell that they're not happy with it, but they're also just like, they basically said that they're not going to associate with them and they're not going to associate people who espouse those views and that kind of thing. And I think that's the best role because I felt like Titus was a little bit more company man in that way. But I I felt like New Day were not backing down and were more direct and like, no, we think it was reprehensible, wrong, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're not going to... I mean, it, like, this company is going to do whatever they whatever they want, and we don't have the power to, like, stop this, so we're just not going to be involved. We're not going to associate with them. We're not going to... I don't think we're going to see any New Day Hulk Hogan segments uh, anytime soon. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think that might have been the best, most powerful response in all of this, of just being like, no, like, this is not okay, but it's also, like, an understanding, which is kind of sad that they just don't have the sway to be like, hey, uh, Vince, Triple H, can you not do this? Like, are you kidding? Why are you doing this? But instead, they're just like, we're just not going to be a party to it, and uh, it's it's not on us. Yeah,
0: and I'll even concede to say there was a way to bring Hulk Hogan back, and this was not it, and a way to bring him back directly correlates with him giving a real apology. Like, he might be remorseful, but it seems like he's mostly just remorseful for getting caught, and that's just, yeah, people are saying that's unfair to say, but it's like even Titus, when and the New Dale, are kind of saying it's not a real apology. And yeah, the New Days comment uh, that Kofi posted on Twitter was great because they're just like, you know what? It doesn't really affect us. We're going to keep doing what we do. We don't have to interact with them. And man, I hope that one rumor with Hulgan at SummerSlam and raising a certain uh, Bobby Lashley's hand is uh, just rumor and innuendo because that terrifies me.
2: Bobby Lashley, my man. <laughs> oh my Mm -hmm. god that's actually not like out of the question i i could see it it would obviously go over horribly but i could (laughs) see it oh that would go over so bad i really don't even want to think about that that just ruined my thursday night recording this on a thursday and now i just envisioned (laughs) oh no i don't want any of that i know i can I can picture it too,
0: and it's just like, no, don't do that! Oh my god, it's like wrestling is that e. worse than to... Roman
2: Reigns just beating Brock Lesnar clean to close out SummerSlam. Is that uh, any worse? I guess they're both bad. Yeah,
0: they're both bad, but I would take Roman Reigns pinning Brock in like three minutes over Hulk raising
2: Bobby's hands a million times. That's true. <laughs> I, I don't want to. Which is really that. sad because I don't want either yeah. of them at all. Um. <laughs> Extreme Rules happened on Sunday. Did, how much did you watch of the 12-match special?
0: Um, I watched the first pre-show match. I did skip the Sanity New Day match because I started like 20 minutes late and I wanted to catch up live, but I did watch it after the fact. So I have seen everything.
2: What were your big takeaways?
0: My big takeaways is, boy, did they not understand what the crowd liked about the Seth rollins Dolph Ziggler feud, um, that Rusev is a real-deal main eventer, and that Bobby and La- Bobby Lashley and Roman Reigns had a lot more in-ring chemistry than people give them credit for, because that was a uh,
2: kind of enjoyable
0: match for what it was. And the other takeaway was what in the world are
2: they doing with Oscar? <laughs> I mean, they're doing nothing with her. I think is what we learned. Uh, There's no plan. Yeah, five minutes. Was, yeah. Um, can we send her back to NXT? And no, that did not happen.
0: Yeah. Uh, I wish. I wish that, uh, there's still a part of me that feels like, you know what, maybe they can correct this because she's not getting beat clean in these title losses. So, and I saw Jr. Jim Ross tweet that right after that match was like, you know what? It was a dirty loss. It doesn't mean anything. And I was like, "Eh, he would know. So I guess I'll take his word for it.
2: (laughs) But it's just like you lose interest as a fan because people are just going to stop buying it where it's like you lose a lot of the anticipation factor where it's like, we're, Because it really did feel like this was where Asuka was finally going to get her Muppets on Ellsworth and Carmella. But now Carmella in this act is going to continue. And it just doesn't help that Carmella is so bad in the ring. And I really enjoy her on the mic. I think she's really good there. And she's improved a lot in the last couple of years. But, like, she just doesn't have the in-ring work to do this. Like, Alexa Bliss is not the best in-ring worker. And she's a better talker than Carmella but they're both really good at that and that's why they have value especially they stand out more because so many of um, the current roster just can't talk and it's a problem but uh, you can hand the mic to Carmella and Alexa and it works and they can get a lot out of other people but yeah it just it doesn't work because Alexa Bliss can still have good matches and um, she did not on Sunday but I think that was more of a Nia Jack situation who is actually bad who i've been saying that for about a year now and um i I think this is it for a while thankfully because um have not uh, some of it's not her fault like she had some really bad character work where you could tell they did some uh just it, it everything went wrong for naya over the last year and she missed her moment it was october when she dropped alexa bliss to close out a raw and mm-hmm. they made her her friend again, like a couple weeks later, and act like it never happened, and all this other stuff. So it was just, it was never going to work. Her character has never been likable, and, um, it does, and her in ring work is also not great. So, not a fan, but um, they're moving on, and we're getting Alexa versus Ronda Rousey, which is going to be great. And I cannot yeah. wait for the back and forth between those two. And I hope we don't get more Mickey James faces, uh, contender X while Alexa Bliss is outside the ring for the 19th time in 2018 but I'm sure that's where we're going but uh yeah, yeah I just Oscar just felt like she needed to have that moment because the SmackDown women's division right now is ready for a great worker to hold that belt because Becky Lynch is on a winning streak. uh, uh, Charlotte is on the, she's going to be back soon. So you you'll have her back in the fall. The Iconics are there. You have um, just a a lot of like everybody on SmackDown can really wrestle except for Tamina, Lana and uh, Carmella. But I mean, Naomi has still gotten back on track a little bit, so she's right there. But I just felt like there's a lot more directions that they could go that would be fun over the next six months with Oscar's champ than with Carmella, because you know going into these pay-per-view matches that Carmella cannot work. Like, I don't want to see... I'd rather see Asuka and Becky feud and Asuka then you see um, Charlotte getting back into the mix and how that uh, unfolds because of the history between Asuka and Charlotte. I just figured they were going to spend the fall doing a triple threat style feud with Becky Charlotte and Oscar, uh, but they're not going to do that. It looks like. So I have no idea what they're doing with Carmela on this belt, but um, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Um,
0: the thing that confused me about extreme rules was that I was like, dang, Carmella did her job. Like, I feel like the audience was ready for Oscar to really beat her after the last couple months of shenanigans and, bad finishes and stuff, but then she ended up winning the same way she's been winning the last month or so, and Carmella's getting better in the ring, but yeah, like, obviously there's something to do with that being another very, very, very short match for her, and we'll see where that goes, because I see that Becky and Carmella face each other on SmackDown next week, and if Becky wins, she gets the title shot. I'm rooting for a Carmella-Becky-Oscar triple threat at uh, SummerSlam. But yeah, no, I liked what you said about Alexa Bliss. Uh, Alexa Bliss is the Miz to me of the women's division. She's a solid, solid worker, but she's like dynamite, automatic on the mic. And that's just fantastic. And yeah, that uh, the Extreme Rules match on Sunday wasn't that great. And I would give Nia some props because I did enjoy her work with Ronda Rousey the month before. I felt like that was her best match and impressive for Ronda. But yeah, her character changed too much you know you kind of lose interest when a per. they made her like the big show and i'm not just but she was like flipping back and forth like it seems like every five weeks it's like all right what is she i cannot connect with this character so yeah we'll see where that goes i'm really curious to see what the heck they do with the rest of the women's division outside of the title scene
2: are you because we get sasha bailey and the incompetence of kurt angle on a weekly basis of just his his investment in them just being friends which is still one of the weirdest things going on raw and a lot's going weirdly on raw, but that's uh maybe Kurt angle being bad at his job is a consistent, uh <laughs> theme on a weekly basis. And it's uh, it's not great, but um, yeah, yeah. I'm not, things are not great in the women's division on both shows. I think right now, I think they need like raw needs Rousey back and that should help a lot. But SmackDown, I just think as long as Carmela is occupying that belt, it just feels like they're in a holding pattern and, the it just if you're somebody like um what's uh the from absolution i'm blanking on their names the ones who are not Paige
0: uh oh mandy rose or mandy rose
2: yeah both great and i think that there is something there but they are kind of in the background because there's nothing for them to do really like in with no tag team division everything else it's just like there's so many talented people in the smackdown women's division right now that just can't do anything because Carmelo is just sitting there with Ellsworth. And um, if you put the title on Oscar this Sunday, you would have been able to have a lot more compelling matches. You would have had a champion who can actually work with everybody and would make people like the Iconics and Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville and Becky Lynch and everybody else look like a million bucks because she can actually wrestle. And it's just a misuse of Oscar. I just, I don't, I'm not a fan. and I just, I hope they correct in some way going forward. but um, Yeah, so you said something about Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler at the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that, in that they misunderstood what people liked about the feud uh, prior to Extreme Rules?
0: There were so I think, what was it, like four to three, 14 minutes into the match, and it was like, Weird finishes and Drew beat the crap out of Seth to get the DQ. And it slowed at the 23 minute mark. We're slowed down. Seth is already dead and he's got to sell like crazy the rest of the match. And it's a completely slow match. Luckily, they corrected itself in the last 12 minutes and it was a lot more back and forth than the fast paced kind of wrestling match that they had been having on Raw. I, I don't know. It just uh, it took me out of the match for a little bit. The first 15, 16 minutes, I was like, wow, you really misunderstood what we enjoyed about this feud. I mean, it was quick falls. It was four to three. It was a 30 minute iron match, and there were already seven falls by like the 14 minute mark. And I just, uh, it really slowed things down and kind of, I don't know. It just didn't match the feud at that point. I felt like it was inconsistent.
2: Okay. And I'm with you, though, on the Reigns Lashley match being good. It's just, I don't care about either of those characters. I just don't want to see either of them win the universal title. Like their characters are terrible.
0: Good wrestling. Yeah, what is Bobby Lashley? Yeah, exactly. Good. That was a fun match. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. So I'll give them credit on that. But I'm with you. Like this is not what the fans want to see either of these guys doing right now. So it's just not, they're not reading uh, their audience.
2: No. And I don't understand why they did not have AJ versus Rusev close this show. Because... The fans were obviously into this. The match was great. I, this was my favorite match of the night. I, I mean I love every AJ Styles match, basically. But like I like feuds where um this is this is a take right here, man, but uh I like feuds where the crowd is split and they actually are <clears throat> invested in both characters and are happy to see both wrestle and dueling chants are fun and just all of this stuff. The atmosphere for this match was great and uh I love Rusev and he's He had the kind of match that he needed in this spot, but I do think this should have gone on last. And um, AJ now, he's in a position where he makes everybody look a lot better and he keeps finding ways to keep the title. And I think after winning the feud with Shinsuke, that he should keep it for a long time. And I mean, now he's going towards Joe, but we already know based on the dirt sheets that he's probably not going to lose that feud to Joe either, which he should not, in my opinion, either. Um, The guy he should end up losing to, I think at this point, is Daniel Bryan. But I don't think I would do that anytime soon. And I think I might wait for, like, six months. I think I might wait till WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble. Like, I would give AJ Styles a really, really long reign at this point because I don't think there's anyone there. The only wild card that I would throw in there, but they already screwed this up because of the way they brought him into the main roster, was Andrade Cien Almas, who had a great opening match with Sinkar and he's done great work. And we already know how good of a worker he is based on his NXT time, but he's just, it would feel weird, not Jinder Mahal weird of getting elevated into that top spot last year, but um, it's just, they met, they missed the boat on that. And I think if they had called him up kind of like they did with Kevin Owens, where he immediately feuded with John Cena, like they could have done something like that with Almas and styles. And I think the crowd would have been really hot for it because a lot of the crowd that, watches smackdown i think watches nxt i don't think that's necessarily true for raw and you know i i just that's what i would have done i think the hottest feed they could have gone with this summer uh outside of joe because i do like joe a lot and i think it'll be great but i think we all want to see almas versus styles like i think that's the perfect like top baby face on smackdown versus a guy who just has all the heel potential in the world who can back it up in the ring and has the great manager in Selena Vega who is just fantastic with him that I just think they've really screwed up Almas in the last six months. I mean it's not like a dire situation, but it's also like one where they have to do a lot of character rehab for him over the next couple of months and give him uh some wins and I I, I don't know. I don't think he can go anywhere near the title anytime soon and now you have Heelshinske um with the US title. So I don't really know what Almas can do at this point. He's in a weird holding pattern like so many people on SmackDown because they appear every other week, it seems like, and there's no consistency, but um, yeah, I just, I, I think AJ should keep it for a while. And I think if it's not going to be Rusev, if it's not going to be Joe, no one else really makes sense on SmackDown. And the only, I, I, I said almost, but I guess the other guy is the Miz. If Brian leaves, which we've gotten mixed reports on whether or not he's resigned, I think he's going to be back either way. But if he's not, they, we know that the Miz is going over at SummerSlam like that they're not gonna have Brian go over if they think he's gone um sooner rather than later so the Miz is someone I, I mean I'm a gigantic Miz fan and he's been great he would him beating Styles would get so much heat and just him being the one to just like steal the title away from him I think would be a good story to tell and he's ready for a WWE title run but I don't see that in the cards, So I don't know. What what do you make of AJ Styles title run right now?
0: Uh I've I've been loving AJ's run. I think it's up uh over two hundred and sixty days long. So it's been pretty awesome to see uh a long reign. And they took a big chunk uh with Almas on Tuesday night and smacked on him and Styles had a fantastic entertaining match together after uh Vega challenge Styles. So he's in there with AJ right now, so we might get a Almas AJ feud, uh Joe. Joe's right there and obviously the dirt sheets and the local ads that got leaked with the Joe AJ graphic for Hell in a Cell are out there, but uh, I'd love to see Joe take the title from AJ, you know, let it go to, let it go to October Hell in a Cell. So AJ can get up a, a healthily over 300 day rain and put it on Joe, you know, maybe Joe doesn't need the title and neither does AJ Styles in the sense to get over, but I'd love to see Joe take it from AJ in like a, very, very intense Hell in a Cell match just based off of the length of their feuds and how it's gone across the world and stuff like that. But I think, uh back to Almas, I think he'll be all right. That dude's got too much talent. He's young, and uh they really need a Latino star, star to be completely honest. And from what I've heard, Vince loves him. And what's not to love? The dude's in-ring work is, like, crisp. You do not see that guy mess up.
2: He's great. You don't have to sell me on Almas. And it's amazing how much he's uh, evolved since he first came on like i remember just audibly laughing when his first <laughs> appearance with the hat and everything else and just his weird gimmick and i was like oh this is not gonna work this is like uh, it was honestly kind of like no way hosain a little it it just it did not work and he tried to work as a baby face and that didn't work and um you could tell like he had the in-ring work but there was just something missing and then adding Zelina vega just changed the game for him and he's been fantastic. So I'm right there with you. I just, I don't know what happens with him and um, we'll see. But uh, what do you make of the Universal title stuff? Because now we have Kurt Angle who is suddenly um, upset that Brock Lesnar's not around competing. Uh, I mean, it's only been a couple months now. So uh, glad Kurt Angle woke up and started uh, figuring out hey, maybe it's kind of a problem that Brock Lesnar's never defending his title. And uh, remember that time where you were supposed to, wasn't the, the bylaws? 30 days. Wrestling? Yeah, 30 <laughs> days. <laughs> he missed the boat a little bit ago. So I don't think oh, that's uh, still a thing. And now they're threatening to strip him of the title and all this kind of stuff. The, the sense of urgency from the company now is just, it's, uh, it comes across um, not well. And uh, I'm not a I'm not a fan of it, but at the same time, I'm glad we're inching closer and closer to just moving on from the Brock Lesnar stuff. Because I just I, I talked about this in the pod last week, but uh, him bursting into the octagon to ch- to uh, to challenge Daniel Cormier without the universal title anywhere near him, he was ringside and everything else, and he just I, I just wondered like, what is the point of Brock Lesnar holding this belt? It's not even like he's going out in public with it and like putting it on display for everybody to see and everything else. Like it's just, what are we doing here? Obviously he doesn't love professional wrestling. Like he does the UFC, which is totally fine. And you know yeah. what? It's cool. He can move on. It's not a CM Punk like thing where you're like, Ooh, I don't know about that man. No, this dude's getting, uh, he has all the leverage in the world. He's maximized it with Dana White and Vince McMahon in an unbelievable way. Like shout out to Brock Lesnar for getting them checks because he is um, a master negotiator. So shout out to him. But at the same time, It's been bad for the product. You have The Miz this past week talking about how it's not a good look for the company to have pay-per-views just throughout the year not close out with the top champion on Raw. Like, just how weird that is. And um, also not great that Lesnar never competed in a match on Raw during his entire return dating back five years ago. So, Mm -hmm. that's not great. It's just... I don't understand. It's just been a gigantic waste of time. And if we're finally getting to the point where they're going to crawl to the finish line of... Roman Reigns defeating Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam in a triple threat that includes Bobby Lashley. I just uh I just I'm just sighing. I'm glad it's over, yeah. but like, oh my god. This is what we did this I is know. what we built to. This is it.
0: I know. No, and I did forget to comment on that. That drove me absolutely in just insane on Sunday night when A. J. and Rusev didn't close the show because there's no excuse because they didn't have to be careful with the 30 minute Iron Man match going over because it's on their own network. They can go as long as yeah. they want. So I, I just didn't get that. I was like, what? Roman Reigns doesn't close out the show. The universal title and Brock Lesnar aren't on the card and the WWE championship still isn't the main event. What are you telling your fan base that SmackDown is the B show? Then what did you sell the Fox for $5 billion? I just don't get it. It's really strange. It's AJ Styles. And it's Rusev. Rusev might not be a A-plus name, but the guy's been around for the uh, main roster three and a half, four years now, and my goodness. But he's
2: he's in, super over. Rusev is a, yeah,
0: he's super over, and he's a main event performer. I mean, that was an amazing match. And, yeah, it's AJ Styles, but Rusev did a lot of great stuff. And uh, here it is. Brock, I just looked this up. Brock Lesnar has not defended the title. It's 84 days. 84 days. And That's now, Kurt Angle,
2: this Monday, was like, you know what? I'm putting my foot down.
0: So disappointing. It's been such a bummer, just because you know, I know, ugh, like the wrestling insiders are like, oh, it's just a title; it doesn't mean anything. Well, it does mean something when you tell your fans it means nothing. Because I don't, I don't know. It's it's the it's the top jewel of your main show, Monday Night Raw. Like, what's what's the deal here? I, I just don't get it. I don't. I've been really confused and just turned off by. Monday Night Raw without it, because that's ninety days without a title defense is just out of control
2: here 's how we save all of this. Here is the way to salvage <laughs> this. Brock Lesnar returns at SummerSlam with a different belt it 's not the red strap he comes back, he like threw it away and was like that was trash, and I built my own like i've been that's where i've been away. Is I've been constructing myself a whole new belt that actually doesn 't look like uh, just a uh, tacky. <laughs> garbage belt like that's that's a win if that's what happens here
0: yeah no I know and I think our best case scenario is that Braun Strowman walks out of SummerSlam as champion after cashing in I mean is that though that is that I think so I think so I think because he's on Raw every week Braun is over I love his work he's fun you know I mean
2: yeah, he's. I, I think yeah. I, he missed the moment with Braun. I still just feel like so. He lost the feud with Roman Reigns last year after months and months of feuding. Hmm. And then he had one of the worst matches of the year last year on pay per view against Brock Lesnar at No Mercy for the title. Like, he lost to Lesnar and he lost to Reigns last year. Like, we're done with this. And that was my whole argument yeah. of like, we're really going to do this again. We're going to talk Strowman back. Like, he is the guy that, like, the company loves to present Braun Strowman as this. Um, the monster among men. However, he loses the big match all the time, and outside of this Money in the Bank win, like he is not someone who has won a lot of big time matches. And they don't mention it on the Monday night program, but on Sunday night, he has fallen short. And um, I'm I'm a Braun guy. I do like Braun, but he is not the guy. Like it, my fantasy booking, extremely IWC uh insider voice but like uh <laughs> kevin owens would have been my pick because i just think that you could have come oh yeah there because he has so much history with the universal title anyway and he is the best talker on raw i think right now and i think he is the bet. like everything kevin owens does like he did everything for braun Strowman over the last month and he threw himself off the cage for braun Strowman, and it's just the man does everything and i don't know what his like what what about him is not universal title worthy like finn Balor, at least i can see a little bit of what they're saying there or like if you're not going to put the title on seth rollins and you're not going to do it with a baby face that people actually like at least put it on a heel that you know is going to be around every week and can talk and can open the show close the show whatever you can just trust him kind of like alexa bliss where it's like sometimes the answer is pretty simple and it's staring you right in the face and it's like who on this roster right now, especially on Monday Night Raw, like can do what Kevin Owens can do?
0: No, and I would have no problems with Kevin Owens winning the championship because yeah, it would come full circle. He's the best, arguably the best heel, if not top three best heels in the roster. He can talk, he can work, and stuff like that. But here's my thing, and this is how I defend Braun Strowman losing those matches last year, just because I'm trying to think like the Booker, you know. Braun Strowman had his first ever wrestling match. I think it was in late 2014. He's only been a single superstar on the main roster since 2016. So I think WWE naturally thinks through their kayfabe stories that oh, he's a rookie, he's just learning the singles, he's still dominant, but he's because he did get a win over Roman and the Brock match was extremely disappointing and quick and he lost clean to the F5, which was the biggest thing that bothered me is, like, really? You can't kick out of one of those? Like, yeah, come I was going to say, now, it was just a monster. one. Yeah. yeah, it was just one. And that was that was the point where I went, oh, you just messed this up a little bit. Like, that's going to take a little time to recover. And it did, but I think we're back. I'm, I'm a big was tag-teaming fan. with he,
2: Bobby Lashley, like, a month ago.
0: I know. I think that was more so for Bobby Lashley than Braun Strowman. Okay.
2: He won the Hi. tag-team titles <laughs> with a 12-year-old at WrestleMania this year.
0: Yeah, uh, listen, that bothered me a lot too, but uh I think the money in the bank is his chance to kind of regrab that place where he, we all thought he should have been about a year ago.
2: <laughs> but wouldn't that be really crappy if he like you like the biggest guy in the company uh cashed in after like Roman Reigns won the belt finally from uh Lesnar and just uh did the chicken shit route? Like it wouldn't make sense for his character, I don't think.
0: What what better way to make Braun Strowman the most babyface champion and in- the last five years than having him screw over Roman Reigns.
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a better ending to SummerSlam than, weird. uh, yeah, I mean, it's a better <laughs> ending than the alternative option. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with it, but at the same time, I do think that's a little, um, sporadic I agree character development, uh, yeah. Braun Strowman doing the edge. Like <laughs> I'm not a, I don't know. It seems a little odd.
0: I mean it doesn't fit the the physicality and in the in ring performer. I a hundred percent agree with that, but I think I think that's just one of those moments where you're like, Man, we're in Brooklyn. This is a pretty smart wrestling crowd historically. They're gonna boo the crap out of Roman. What better way to get Brock for our Braun re over as the most over guy than having him beat Roman for the title after Roman wins the title finally? Because that would be met with crazy brews and then Braun's music hits and it's like, okay. Yeah, I mean I, I think that not- that pop, that pop would be astronomical. <laughs>
2: well, <laughs> yeah, uh, I uh, yeah, I agree. Are you excited for SummerSlam? I, I'm always excited
0: for SummerSlam, just because it's SummerSlam. You know, you know, you just you always when you're a longtime wrestling fan, you always hold out optimism to those big name shows, whether the card looks great or you like the stories or not. You're like, yeah, SummerSlam, maybe it works out.
2: I'm excited for NXT. Like I don't know if you read the oh, spoilers this week yet, but um I don't wanna Yeah I don't wanna yeah. mention it just yet, but uh I'm I'm excited with where NXT is going. I'll say that.
0: No, I agree with that too. And I, I'm hundred percent I'm like ninety nine percent sure I had it spoiled for me. I like read it on Twitter and I closed it real quick and I'm like pretending I didn't read it so I can still watch it. <laughs>
2: uh we'll say that uh Tommaso Ciampa is fantastic I love Ciampa so much
0: oh yeah 100% oh what a heel like what I mean that's a real heel that's not your anti-hero heel like that dude gets booze and everyone still loves him and they, I don't know there's something special about him and Oh gosh, It's a to work car, you know, maybe.
2: stacked right now. We're going to get Kyrie Sane versus Shayna Baszler. We're probably going to get no. uh, undisputed era versus mustache mountain, um, EC three versus Velveteen dream, which the build's been terrible, but I do think that those two, once again, the ring will be awesome. And I'm a big Velveteen dream guy. And then you have Ricochet versus Adam Cole for the North American title. And then, um, we're probably gonna get a triple threat for the NXT title, which is obviously going to tear the house down. But, um, yeah, I just feel like la- the last takeover was really underwhelming in some aspects, and I think this one's going to be pretty damn fun, I will say.
0: Yeah, uh, where was the last takeover? Oh yeah, Chicago, that's
2: right. Um, yeah, I, where, I uh, love uh, that. Velveteen Dream was cosplaying as Hogan. Yeah. And then he sent Hogan <laughs> right. on Twitter, which I loved. Oh, we need <laughs> Velveteen Dream's uh, comments yeah. on Hogan's return.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. But yeah, I'm I'm always excited for the NXT takeovers. Just because, you know, you're getting more of like a a wrestling show. It's a fast-paced wrestling show. The match is over, the next one comes out. And that's nice. Just because of the talent in NXT right now is out of this world. And I'm really excited for Ricochet and Adam Cole. I think those guys are going to tear it down.
2: Yeah, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be more of like a wrestling match than Dream Ricochet was, where it was like... It was a lot of good in ring psychology, but it felt kind of like those two just like showing off the majority of it. And I think this one will be more bloody of like Adam Cole just being a shitty heel and doing everything he can to go over the superhero. Cause Ricochet is just such a natural, just superhero like figure that I think is going to resonate with kids. Like he's just going to be yeah. selling a bunch of merch and people are just going to. Gravitate towards him, and he's being positioned as a, as, uh, as an Avenger, basically. And um, I think it's gonna
0: he's going to be Jeff Hardy over. Yeah, Jeff Hardy over. I see him as like being super over eventually on the main roster.
2: Yep, I would agree. Ben, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely, man. Great time. All right. Well, we can find you on Twitter at Benjamin S Raven. We can reach you at MLive.com. dot um, is there anything else you'd like to bug before we get out of here?
0: Yeah, uh, check out uh, my podcast, The Court of Nerds, uh, thecourtofnerds.com. We just had uh, an interview with Ring of Honors and Rick Abani last night. That's a cool one. Check that out. Uh, yeah, we'll go. be at StarCast before All-In weekend, so we're super pumped for that. So follow me on Twitter and stay along for all those updates. I should have some cool interviews coming along, and we'll definitely have to do this again.
2: Oh, for sure. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, we will talk again soon, sir. Sounds good. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second leave lead the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, at google play or wherever else you get your podcasts uh, be sure to check out chase where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing i'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon thanks guys